the signs you're looking for are what are the institutional players doing, right? You know, every day there's some news about Goldman Sachs doing something yep. and Morgan Stanley doing something, JP Morgan doing something, right? So once all these players are getting more and more into Web3 and the way they might start might be, we'll allow you to buy and sell Bitcoin, right? Yeah. That's fine. That's, you have to have that kind of, you know, entry point into Practice, Web3 yeah. and crypto and that's fine, right? I think payments will be one area where that disruption will happen sooner. Uh, and after that, we'll start seeing more proliferation of that into other areas. And mm -hmm. I do hope that, you know, this uh, way of, you know, using USDC or any other kind of stable coin um, to purchase other real world assets will become more and more uh, prevalent and then eventually to larger asset classes like real estate and so on. So it's going to happen. I don't know whether that's a five year time frame or a little bit more. Uh, but it'll definitely happen. Calm down before you stress up the groove. The energy a little different when the blessings accrue. Hey, who you talking to? Just know I ain't no regular fool. Could be anything in the world, but I can never be you because I had time like I'm on my What's going on, Seed Frasers? Welcome back to another episode. Today's episode, we interviewed another bright mind in the Web3 space, Sanjay. He's actually leading the Web3 department for Roofstock, the multi-billion dollar company that allows and simplifies real estate investing for retailers um, or for retail investors. Today's episode, we cover pretty much the co-mingling of crypto and Web3 and how you can now buy real estate as an NFT with a lot less of a headache and it's simpler, faster, and quicker. And it's quite honestly mind-blowing. The barrier to entry to buy real estate has now been dropped down significantly and it's open for more people, especially if you're watching this podcast. You can pretty much now buy real house property via an NFT. So that's what this conversation is about. Now, if it's your first time on this episode, make sure you go ahead and subscribe to the channel and also check out our free daily newsletter. We send out a daily newsletter that's curated every single day for specific topics to keep you updated and educated on what's going on in the crypto world. So yeah, enjoy this episode. Drop a like, subscribe, comment, and uh, let's get right into it. Sanjay, thanks for taking the time and uh, meeting with me today. How are you? Great. Uh, thanks for having me, Mo. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you too. Sanjay showed up on the call with a better podcast setup than me, so <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty impressed here. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty excited to, go, to have this conversation. Obviously, you guys been doing a lot of developing in terms of the real estate industry and co-mingling it with blockchain and crypto and especially with Roofstock. So mm -hmm. I would love to dive right into it. So, you know, pretty much earlier this year, right, you guys started off or sold the first real estate single or not this year, last year, uh, last year. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> sorry. I'm 2023, guys. <laughs> We're actually, so earlier last year, you guys sold the first house single family house as an nft right roofstock had also yeah. go ahead yeah yeah so it was a single family rental property and what made it really special and you know we've been thinking about it for a while now is uh, real estate traditionally is always you know uh, when possible you purchase with leverage because that you know levered returns one uh, on the cash flow or you know uh, the yield that you make out of the rental uh, returns that can, you know, if it's levered and it can offer a better yield because of that, that's one advantage, but also mainly over time as the property value appreciates, you know, when you can get levered returns on the uh, home price appreciation, that makes it special as well. So uh, this particular transaction, what was really uh, interesting about it was not only did the single family home get transacted, you know, via an NFT platform, but we were able to add uh, DeFi-based leverage to it on the blockchain. Mm. 
And so that that was that kind of made it really special for us. Yeah, and I'm very excited to talk about DeFi-based leverage, obviously, and, and the utility behind buying a an, an house via NFT and on the blockchain versus buying it in real life. Mm -hmm. But before that, in your own words, why do you think people should be bullish or should they even be bullish on the idea of the real estate industry is getting disrupted by crypto and blockchain? Is that something people should start looking forward to and looking into? Yeah, I, I do believe people should be bullish about it. And the reason for that is because uh, real estate, if you sort of um, look, you know, besides the last few years of uh, technology innovation involving uh, Web3 and uh, crypto and all that, um, historically, real estate has been bought and sold in a certain way. And it's not, uh, there's not been a lot of uh, innovation in terms of either reducing the closing time or the costs associated with it and number of intermediaries involved. And and what I mean by that is when you look at a traditional real estate sale process, right? And again, we're we're talking about rental properties here. So, um, the 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 process somewhat is identical to whether you know it's a primary residence or a rental property in the traditional world. Uh, and we, we're trying to make a demarcation in uh, kind of the what we're doing with Web three. I'll get into that in a second. But when you look at the traditional closing process, uh, typically that's three to four weeks. And what happens in those, uh, and if there's leverage, sometimes it's even more than that. Uh, what happens in those three to four weeks is the buyer and seller both need to do um, diligence on each other uh, in the sense that the seller wants to make sure that they're going to get paid. So the buyer has the funds. And so the buyer is coming up with an earnest money deposit. Sometimes a portion of that deposit goes hard. And then if you don't come up with financing, for example, you might lose the property or you might add a financing contingency in your offer, in which case the seller is nervous till the end to make sure that the financing comes through and they're actually able to close. Because if you don't close the property, then it's back to listing and back to finding another buyer and all that stuff, right? So sometimes you, you see properties going into pending or contingent sale and then they come back out and get relisted again. And that's what's mm -hmm. happening in those is the deal falls through after an offer has been accepted. Now, from the buyer's perspective, uh, they don't know anything about the property. So they typically, there's an inspection. And once that inspection is done, you're reviewing everything. Then you find out little issues with the property. You're going back and negotiating on the price. So this this three to four weeks is a, an intensely stressful period for both the buyer and seller. There's a lot of back and forth that's going on. And until the deal is done, you actually don't know if it's going to go through or not. You're hoping everything works out, but the deal can fall through for any number of reasons. And so there has to be a better way of doing this. And for rental properties, at least, we we the way we thought about it was, what if we adjusted um, some of the things that happened during those three to four weeks, if we can surface that inf information ahead of time in the cycle? So that way, the buyer and seller both have exactly the same information. Because, you know, in our case, the NFT metadata would point to a URI. And when you go to that, you know, data page, you see everything about the property, you know, uh, mm -hmm. all the tax records, insurance information, um, inspection reports, any renovation scope that, you know, if you need to do a rehab, what's the renovation scope on it? All of this information can be available and, and surface to both the buyer and the seller at the same time. So you remove a lot of the kind of information asymmetry between the two parties, which typically in the traditional process is all happening in those three, four weeks. If you can surface that upfront, then by the time the buyer is actually making a purchase decision, and the analogy we use is you might go on Amazon Prime and 
you might research the new Xbox and the new uh, Nintendo Switch and, you know, all the other devices. And but once, you know, and you may take a week or two to figure out what, you know, which device you want to get. But once you make that purchase decision and click buy now, Amazon Prime delivers it, you know, same day, next day or within two days. You're not then mm-hmm. waiting four weeks for the you know, to, to that, you know, for that thing to be shipped out of China in a container, yeah. land in LA and then get trucked to a warehouse and then come to you four weeks later. Right. Yeah. So we wanted to do this, uh, something similar to real estate where you can do all the research about the property you want to buy ahead of time. But once you make that purchase decision, can we make that settlement instantaneous? And the beauty of uh, Web3, especially in more recently, um, Ethereum already came up with the idea of smart contracts, which was essentially programmable logic that allows you to do certain things based on uh, certain events occurring. When you combine that with the concept of programmable money, right? Mm-hmm. And USDC, you know, when it launched in 2018 or whenever, um, you know, that's programmable money that can interact with smart contracts. So now you have the ability um, to essentially, for this piece of computer code to say, I need to take money from X, move it over to Y, and I need to take the NFT from Y and move it over to X, right? So that the combination of smart contracts and programmable money makes that instantaneous sale and settlement uh, possible. Because otherwise, uh, you know, if, if let's say you and I were to interact with each other directly, you have a property to sell and I have money. Um, we have this problem of uh, how do I make sure that once I give you the money, you're trust. actually going to give me the NFT, right? Yeah. That, that trust issue exists. And so in order to overcome the trust issue, there's you know all these intermediaries that are all sitting across a table signing documents. The money's you know, going to an escrow company and then the uh, escrow company makes sure that you will get the title to the property. And all these things are going on simply to solve that trust issue, right? So the two things that happen during closing are one, all this diligence and contingencies that are being resolved. And the second is this trust issue of, you know, making sure that X gets the property and Y gets the money. And and if we can move all the diligence up front and the trust issue can be solved by smart contracts and programmable money, suddenly you have a new way of transacting these assets. And that's basically what we ended up doing here. And I think people should want to be bullish about it because for the first time, you're able to buy and sell properties fairly instantaneously and it lowers the, you know, significantly lowers the transaction time and costs. But more importantly, you know, it's instantaneously both the buyer and seller, you know, with that settlement, they are both getting what they want. And there's no, you know, waiting for three weeks to find out if the sale is going to go through or not. Yeah, it's very fascinating to kind of see like how Web3 is going to play parts and some of these essential or most essential things in our lives, right? Like if you look at the most essential thing that somebody needs to elevate or to move up a level in their life, like a car, like a job, like a house, that process is so tedious. It's so scary that it pushes so many people away, right? But then you've seen like Tesla come out over the last few years and they turned buying a car into the same experience of shopping on Amazon, right? You go on their website, you pick the color, you pick the tires, and then you check out. So seeing kind of what you guys are doing with Roofstock and the idea of like, hey, you can just visit a website and buy a house and it can all be done within minutes or clicks is very revolutionizing to see. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and for, Go ahead. You know, I was just going to say, you know, uh, the other layer of complexity in all this is the lending piece. Yeah. Because, um, 
you know, one way or the other in the U.S., when you're buying a property, whether it's as a, you know, primary resident property where you're going to live in it, or it's an investment property that you're going to buy and, you know, rent it out, the uh, traditional Fannie Mae underwriting process is identical in both yeah. cases, right? So you're going through your your employment, your W-2, your tax records, your bank statements, your retirement funds, and, you know, anybody who has applied for a mortgage knows just exactly how painful that is. And for, I, and I totally get it for, you know, property uh, uh, primary residents because, you know, ultimately, even though the house is the collateral, right, mm-hmm. and, and and the bank is giving you a loan that's, you know, 80% LTV, right, 80% loan to value. So there's all, already the bank has got 20% cushion on the value of the property. But despite that, they're still like underwriting you to make sure that you have the money to, you know, pay the loan and all that. And sure, I still get it for, you know, like a owner occupied primary residence. But there's really no need to do that for a commercial, you know, uh, uh, enterprise where you're basically buying a property to rent it out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but for whatever reason, we still have the same identical process and it's cumbersome and it's hard and it's, you know, if you don't have the right lending contacts and this and that, it's virtually impossible to get a good rate. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a struggle for a lot of people. And if you cannot find conventional uh, mortgages, then you're looking at hard money lenders and those are priced 10 to 12% typically. And there's a personal guarantee on top. So it's, it's extremely tedious to get those kinds of, uh, in, you know, loans for investment properties. And if you can simplify that on the blockchain as well, um, uh, you know, then that completely revolutionizes, you know, not just the process of how you transact and settle a home, but how you can add leverage on that property. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you can correct me here if I'm wrong. So you yourself and Geoff obviously couldn't make it today on the call. You guys are leading the Web3 department for Roofstock, but you also have a lot of experience selling and buying properties, obviously in real life. And I think that number is 2000 properties from what I've read. No, so uh, roof. So that's a much bigger number. Um, so Roofstock uh, itself has been around since 2015. Yep. Um, started out, you know, basically to see that uh, this there's this invest, investable asset class. It's four trillion dollars. There's 20 million rental, uh, how you know, single family homes in the U.S. People might might traditionally think of rental properties as apartment buildings. Yeah, but you know, and there are a lot of multifamily apartment buildings as well. But there's also 20 million single-family homes that are used as rental properties. Mm-hmm. And historically, these have always been owned by, uh, or at least 90 some percent has been owned by individuals and small investment groups that uh, are buying locally, depending on where they live, and they're buying within a 200-mile radius of where they live. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Roofstock wanted to radically simplify how rental properties can be bought and sold. And especially that meant that if you're looking at the Midwest and Southeast and this and that, you can live in California or New York or Boston and or Miami and still be able to buy a property in Atlanta, Indianapolis, Birmingham, et cetera, right? So we created a, a, you know, over the last seven years, we created a platform that allows people to do that, buy remotely, sight unseen. And and the marketplace was doing about, as you pointed out, about 2,000 uh, mm. properties a, a year. And But there's also an institutional uh, platform that Roofstock has built over these years because our goal was to bring the kind of knowledge that institutional buyers have. And uh, whether you're there to buy one property, five properties, or 5,000 properties, give you the same level of uh, uh, analytics and data and support. Mm-hmm. 
And on the institutional side, you know, in 2021, for example, we were buying something like 200 plus million dollars uh, a month for our institutional customers. Wow. So that's like, you know, 600 properties a month, for example, just to give you yeah. scale, right? So uh, so we have, and we manage about 15, 16,000 doors nationally for our institutional wow. clients, right? So so we have that knowledge across 70 odd US, uh, US rental markets. And, and we're able to bring that down all the way from the guys that want to buy thousands of properties to the guys that just want to buy a couple, right? And so the, yeah, the retail marketplace was doing about 2000 a year, but on the institutional side, we were doing several tens of thousands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So walk me through, obviously, what attracted you to solving the problem of real estate and obviously being able to tokenize, you know, rental properties and single family houses and how how has that kind of been turning out for you guys personally and for you personally? Your yeah, 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 absolutely. So, you know, Roofstock's uh, kind of ethos has always been to radically simplify how SFR can be bought and sold, single family rental properties. And and we've done, we had done a lot traditionally in terms of, again, allowing people to make these decisions remotely by surfacing a lot of that information, as I pointed out, diligence information up front. So you can, sitting on your computer, you can review a lot of the information pertaining to the subject property and uh, run your you know, spreadsheets and stuff and figure out this is the property I want to buy in this market because I have, you know, this market is, I have like Atlanta, for example, used to be a, a reasonably cash flowing market, but also had like some growth characteristics. So it was a balanced market. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're looking at Birmingham, for example, it was or or Indianapolis, those were traditionally much more cash flowing markets. Or Denver and Austin, for example, cash flow is lesser, but the growth used to be much higher. Mm-hmm. So you you could make your decisions based on what your investment goals were and pick the right market and pick the right property that you wanted to buy for your portfolio. And we had already done a lot of work to simplify, you know, just exposing all that information to you up front. But the after you made that decision to buy, the closing process was still the same, right? Because nothing fundamentally has changed there. And, and we noticed that, you know, there's just a lot of, uh, even though you had simplified a lot of the diligence, the stress for both the buyer and seller and the, co- the transaction coordinators working that uh, deal till it's done, it's significantly high. And um, the ultimate price is to see if you can somehow make that simpler, more transparent, and a much more enjoyable experience for both parties. Um, and not to mention, you know, when you when there's that many intermediaries involved and there's a lot of costs associated with it, you're also, uh, while it's a great asset to hold uh, in your portfolio, when you want to sell it, um, you're, you know, that there's a lot of leakage in the system. And eventually mm-hmm. that means, you know, a couple of years worth of rent or, you know, percent of the value of the home or whatever is being lost to the transaction so we wanted to simplify all of this right and for a long time we were thinking about how and it just you know we didn't see a way to easily make that happen until we were able to essentially start looking at web3 as an alternative because uh, again you know if you want to eliminate the escrow process for example there has to be a way for uh, completely, you know, a buyer and seller who do not know each other to be able to trust each other and, yeah, and do a yeah. transaction. The only way to do it is in a trustless way through this sort of idea of smart contracts and programmable money. So mm-hmm. once those pieces of the Web3 infrastructure were all in place, then it became... And so and when you start adding, you know, like... Uh, so you have the smart contracts, you have the programmable money, and then how do you bring in leverage? Because 
if the all the leverage is going to be done outside the blockchain, then it sort of doesn't work because yeah. you know you have a transaction that's living in Web three. You cannot you know sort of you know, yeah. What are you going to go get money set, to the yeah, bank and come in? Bank, and and yeah, it doesn't and, and no bank is going to lend you you know to buy a property as an NFT and all that. Exactly. So the the other piece of it was to make sure that there's actually a lending solution, viable lending solution available on chain. And our lending partner on that transaction was Stellar Finance. And they've, they've got a product called USDC Homes. And um, mm. so a lot of the sort of, you know, within the NFT market, when you look at it, kind of started out as PFPs. And then, you know, people started adding some utilities to the, to the, uh, to the PFPs. And then there were like events and IRL and all these yeah. other things. And then, of course, you know, like, Every NFT project is then trying to see what else can we do to add value. But after a while, it's like, you know, you've got your art, your music, film, uh, regular PFPs and other utility, uh, you know, projects like your board ape and so on, where you have in real life events and all these other things going on. But beyond that, if you, you know, start looking at, okay, what else can I do with NFTs? Then you have to start looking at real world assets. And yeah. um, and NFTs are a phenomenal uh, technology concept in order to bring in real world assets into the sort of Web three model because you know again they're non fungible by nature and they represent a unique object. Something like single family homes, it doesn't get more unique than that because <laughs> there's just you know there's no you know two properties that have the same address yeah. you know in the country, right? So so that's you know as unique as it gets, and it's it's a really good use case to you know for for us. Um, so when we were able to put all these pieces together, that's what really created this opportunity. And, um, you know, we talked about that first home. Uh, we're actually, um, we're just announcing it today on the show, but we're getting ready to sell our second home. It'll probably happen oh, in nice. the next week or two. Yeah, so that's, Let's go. that's... Hell yeah. Okay, so so what I'm getting here, right, is like pretty much what this is doing on a, on a, on a macro spectrum is it's kind of lowering the barrier to entry, right? Right now, the typical person, in order to even be qualified to, you know, go buy a house, you have to have anywhere between, I would say, like 10 to 20% of that house value ready to go in cash, right? Majority of the time. So by tokenizing this, obviously, and, and the DeFi aspect of it and the leverage aspect of it, you're kind of opening the doors for more people to come in and be able to buy properties in an easier way. So how do you think that impacts the market? Like, is it going to make the market looser? Is it going to, you know, like what's the impact on the traditional ways mm -hmm. of buying houses? In the yeah, that's a, that's a really good question, right? Because again, if you sort of look at the uh, traditional way of buying rental properties, right? Uh, so first of all, um, there's not that many leverage options uh, because, you know, even, you know, when you're buying a, uh, uh, a home primary residence to live in, you can kind of get that 80% LTV loan from yeah. most banks. But when you're buying an investment property, and especially if you want to um, protect yourself for liability reasons, and you want to put that investment property in an LLC, and and then you know buy the property in that in that model, uh, typically the kind of Fannie Mae loans and all that go away, and then you're looking at hard money lenders. Hard money lenders are you know. It's a 65, 70% LTV loan. Um, High interest. It's 12% interest. And, and, a, and a personal guarantee from you, exactly. right? Yeah. Um, so it becomes really, really, the, the barrier to entry is extremely hard if you want to assemble a large rental portfolio uh, and use, um, 
the right way to do it is, you know, use this LLC structure so you have liability protection. Um, mm-hmm. You know, of course, you have insurance on the property, but beyond that, you also want to personal limit thing. any personal liability, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so if you want to do it in this structure and you want to get a fairly sizable uh, portfolio of rental properties, the, the Fannie Mae option goes away. And, um, and then you're looking at, you know, these high, very expensive loans. And so if, you, if there is a way, and, and even then you're personally underwritten, you're personally on the hook because you're also signing a personal guarantee. But when you look at uh, commercial properties, right, if you look at how, uh, you know, a multifamily is just many individual units all stacked together, how do people underwrite multifamily homes? Well, they're not looking at your personal credit and asking for a personal guarantee. They're looking at what is the cash flow potential of this property? Yeah. What is the net operating income? What is the debt service? Do you have enough debt service coverage to make your you know, interest payments? That's how those properties are underwritten when they're commercial properties. Yeah. So we wanted to, you know, whereas our single family rental properties are being used for the same commercial purpose, it's just that they're buying them one at a time and they're horizontally assembling them as opposed to, you know, a vertical set of 20 units or 30 units. So underwriting ideally can be done in the same way. And so we, you know, through our process, we've, we've figured out a way and, and with our partners, uh, Teller, to be able to just underwrite the property. Uh, there's really no need to underwrite the individual and go through, collect their bank statements and tax records and all wow. that because they're not planning to live in the property. They're planning to rent it out. It's going to be cash flowing. Yeah. They're going to use the cash flow to make the uh, payments. Uh, interest payments. And so that simplifies, uh, you know, if you think about it, even just from a pure uh, access uh, point of view, right? Uh, let's say um, I run, uh, I'm a small business owner, right? And I don't have the, you know, every year I don't have that steady uh, income uh, on my W2. My, you know, one year I might make, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars. And the next year I might, you know, my income might come down. I have net worth. I have cash to buy this house. But I wouldn't qualify through a traditional lending process because they want to look at three years of W2 and make sure you've been making the same amount of money or more. And so these, these uh, you know, small businessmen or, um, uh, you know, folks, uh, minorities or, uh, you know, folks who may have not had uh, a chance to build up a solid credit history, but they got an inheritance or something else, and they have the down payment to make this possible. A lot of the people are getting excluded from the traditional way of buying homes, right? And if you can say, I don't care about any of that, right? You have the down payment. This property is worth $200,000. I'm giving you a $120,000 loan against it or yep. whatever, $130,000 loan against it. That should be enough, right? And, yep. the, and the property is going to generate $1,800 a month in rent. I should be able to underwrite that property based on those characteristics and give you a loan. So, yep. and so with W, you know, with, with Web3, in a way, it's, it's much more inclusive. So not only is it reducing the barriers to entry, but I don't care about, you know, who you are and what you're, uh, you know, race and color and sexual orientation and this and that. I don't care about any of that. I don't care about your W-2 and whether, you know, you had a phenomenal year last year, but you're not going to have that good a year this year. None of that matters, right? If you if you have the down payment and the property is, uh, you know, worth a certain amount of money and it has this rental potential, I should be able to make a loan on based on that. Um, and so we, we do believe that, you know, in, in a way... Um, it's never it's not anonymous in the sense that we do need to know if you're buying a property in the u s we do need to know who you are so there is a kyc process but um 
when you're buying the property on a marketplace, the marketplace does not need to know anything else about you other than your wallet address. Our smart contract makes sure that that wallet address has been KYC'd um, for the transfer to go through. But otherwise, if you're buying a property, this property on OpenSea or our own native marketplace or anywhere else, all you're doing is connecting your wallet anonymously, just like you're buying any other NFT and buying this asset, right? That's crazy. And I think that's, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. To simply go online, buy a house, no questions asked. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. It makes all the sense. Yeah. It's like you guys are now, like, the approach should have never been like, hey, let's check if the person is eligible. It's more of like, okay, if this house is for sale, then is this house eligible to last and produce what this person wants it to do? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So it makes all the sense. Okay. So let me ask you this. How do you think virtually buying NFT houses, right? Through Roofstock, for example, can actually protect or help investors in the real world? Yeah. So that's a, that's again, a really good question, right? So the, the, the most common, um, hesitation somebody might have is like this nft is this like you know is this a property in the metaverse or is this yeah. a, you know does this represent a real property yeah. how do i know i have the same rights right so the way we do this is we uh, essentially when we buy the property we buy it into a into a single purpose limited liability company okay and and so uh, and the way the uh, llc's documentation uh, is written out it says that the ownership of this LLC is the wallet that holds uh, this token ID of this smart contract, right? So essentially our NFT has a smart contract and then the NFT has a token ID associated with it. And so okay. the, the operating agreement specifies that if you have the wallet that has this NFT in it, then you are the owner of this LLC. And so because of that, um, essentially when that particular NFT trades on an NFT marketplace, 15 seconds later, when Ethereum's uh, new block is written and the NFT moves from wallet A to wallet B, that's an instruction to the LLC to change its ownership. Right? Got it. And so that's that's a legal document, right? The LLC's operating agreement is its legal document. Mm. And so that document is saying that, you know, if the wallet changes, the ownership changes. And thus, um, you know, we can preserve the relationship between what's happening off-chain because the this is both an LLC and a real property, right? That's the off-chain component. Yep. And then the NFT, which is the on-chain component, as well as the debt, which is happening on-chain. Yeah, And that's that's how we connect the two. So when I buy the house, let's say I want to go on Roofstock right now and I buy the property that's up for sale. Besides making the transaction online, I'm assuming I get sent like real life things. I don't know, like a house key, for example, or the paperwork in real life. And that's all done seamlessly, obviously, from what you guys are doing behind the scenes, is that correct? Yeah. So the 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 house always stays titled in the LLC, right? Uh, mm. And that's what makes the transfer instantaneous. Because if the house were to be transferred in your name, and we were to sell that, uh, you know, the house to yeah. me, then we have to go back to the county and you know pay Change fees and get the yeah. you know title deed re-recorded recorded in my name. But if the LLC is always the owner of the property and all we are doing, all you're doing is selling me your LLC, then that can be done instantaneously. Right. Mm. Um, but you do get, you will get a, the, a copy of the LLC operating agreement, and then you will essentially, um, you know, appended to that will be the transaction hash on Ethereum, which shows that this transaction did take place. 
and and it moved from this wallet to this wallet, right? And that makes it uh, a legal document, you know, that shows your ownership to that asset. Now, um, you know, if you sort of look at in a traditional sale, uh, LLC, whether it's a property sale or LLC sale, there's a lot of documents that get signed, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and it's again, if you're doing this on an NFT uh, as an NFT sale, I can't just like find the seller and buyer separately off chain and say, okay, you guys need to now sign this DocuSign, right? Mm -hmm. So the way we did uh, solve that problem was we uh, found really good lawyers that spe specialize in uh, e-signatures. And we essentially walked through like what was necessary for DocuSign to be legally defensible as, as an, because prior to DocuSign, it was all wet signatures, right? Yeah. But now suddenly like you can do it on online and, and it's, it's equivalent no to your wet signature. Mm -hmm. So we were like, okay, so what DocuSign is doing is asking you to press a button and then it, it doesn't even like sign your name the way you sign it on paper. It just like writes out your name as a signature. Mm -hmm. And if that's defensible, then all, all you're doing is digitally signing uh, something online. Well, you're doing that on, on the blockchain too, because when you're buying, you're actually digitally signing your wallet to say, yes, I want to buy this thing. Mm -hmm. And so the seller has digitally signed their wallet, allowing the marketplace to sell this property on their behalf. The buyer is digitally signing their wallet to, you know, for the transaction to complete. So that means two people have electronically signed, um, you know, for this transaction to take place. And EtherScan is keeping a record of the transaction having taken place. Yeah. So when you combine these things and say, here's the document. And since you guys had to digitally sign it, and here's the transaction hash for that, all of these put together make the legal document. So you don't have to be separately off-chain signing, you know, DocuSign documents or getting a mobile notary to your house to do something, right? So that we also eliminated that process. Wow, that's really cool. Um, <laughs> I can't even imagine all the work and the legality of obviously implementing something like this. And this like, leads me to my to my next question here is like, how much pushback are you guys or were you guys getting to even implement some type of infrastructure like the way you have now? Like, do you see the real estate market saying, you know, whether it's the mortgage lenders or the property managers or the buyers and the sellers to just come welcome you guys with open arms? Or are you still getting a lot of pushback? Like, hey, guys, this is a really good idea. And here's why. And you have to sell people individually on it. Uh, you know, I think there will be some education, right? Uh, it's not, I wouldn't call it necessarily pushback as opposed to just a lack of knowledge about a different way of doing things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, now, with, with respect to property managers, uh, you know, they have their own processes. And typically, these rental properties, after somebody buys the NFT, we can give them a, a menu of options, like, you know, if the properties in Birmingham, we can say, here's like three property managers that we worked with in the past, and, you know, feel free to go with any one of them. Um, if there's, if we are, if we also manage properties in a, in a market, we can give our name as well, in addition to other names, we don't force anybody to pick one versus the other. It's like, you know, you own the property, you should be able to do whatever you want with it. Yeah. So, you know, we're here to provide you guidance on which property manager to use, but, uh, you know, and you don't have to use a property manager if you don't want to. Right. Yeah. So, um, so that, you know, all of that, uh, all of those rights go to the owner of the NFT. Um, so from the property management perspective, this really, it doesn't change a whole lot. Uh, they'll just do their regular uh, rehab work, getting the property ready, screening applicants, finding a tenant, mm -hmm. uh, collecting rent and all that. With respect to um, just, you know, buyers who are 
looking at the kind of web two way of buying versus the web three way of buying, there is, you know, there is a little bit of education. But what we found is oftentimes once they understand the benefits, they're willing to, you know, make the change, right? And what yeah. I mean by that is, again, as I mentioned earlier, if you want to buy a property in an LLC and you want to get leverage on it, what they have today is hard money lenders, personal guarantees and all that, right? Now, if I said the only thing you need to learn how to do is set up an Ethereum wallet and find, figure out how to buy a little bit of ETH for gas fees, we, you know, wireless, uh, you know, you can use one of our uh, partners for, you know, basically converting your US, uh, your fiat into USDC, which is what we're using for these transactions. So you need to figure out how to get, you know, your down payment in USDC. You need to know how to set up a wallet, have a little bit of Ethereum for gas fees. Here's, you know, we'll give you videos and tutorials and walk you through all that. But if you can do all these things, right, then you have access to this other way of getting leverage and this instantaneous sale process. Once we go through that uh, education process, we see people actually willing to make the jump uh, to Web3 and sort of do it this way because ultimately convenience trumps everything else. Because, yep. you know, if you if you take the analogy of... Um, you know, back in the day when you had to call a cab to get to the airport at five in the morning and they either show up or not and you're desperately, you know, trying to figure out who can get you, come and get you. And, and you don't know how far they are. If, you know, are they stuck in traffic? Are, are they going to get there on time or not? And then Uber comes along and, you know, it just like, you know, it, it may have been cheaper in the beginning. It may be the same price now. It may even be a little bit more expensive, but irrespective, right? If you have an app and you can, you know, make a request and you can exactly see a cartoon version of that car coming to you. That convenience uh, takes away a lot of stress for people and yep. and people are willing to, you know, switch from what they've done for decades one way to something else that's, you know, radically different. Yep. But it, it in, involves downloading an app, uh, connecting your credit card to that app, and then, you know, being able to put a, place an order uh, through that app, right? Mm -hmm. um, but but people, you know, if it's more convenient, people will eventually do it, right? So that's sort of how we are looking at this is this is a new way of doing stuff. It requires today, it requires downloading a wallet and, you know, because these are all self-custody, right? We don't, we don't custody any of these mm -hmm. for anybody. You need to have a wallet. You need to understand how to save your, you know, uh, seed phrase somewhere. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. seed phrase on on this on the seed phrase podcast we can talk about this <laughs> so uh but but you know that's that's a little bit of a, an inconvenience but if people can get through that uh small inconvenience then they have all these benefits uh, after that yeah and, a and, funny question know, popped up to my to my <laughs> mind when you said seed phrase i was like what if somebody buys the house forgets their seed phrase and can't access their wallet Are no it's a great it's a it's a great question, right? Because here, unlike a PFP where the value of that NFT is the JPEG itself, right? Mm -hmm. In our case, the value of the NFT is not the JPEG. The JPEG exactly. simply represents ownership of an of a real LLC yeah. in the real world and a property. So you you know, and we know who you are because we had to KYC you and we have to know who the buyer of an LLC is. Um so you come back to us and say, here's, you know, here's my passport here. I'm establishing my identity to you. I've lost my seed phrase and we can de-platform the old NFT and issue a new NFT to you. Obviously we cannot transfer that NFT out of, out of your wallet yeah. because, you know, that's yours and only you can transfer it. Uh, but we can de-platform it and say, okay, you know, token number, whatever, 26 is invalid whatever. now. And now we're issuing token number. Yeah. 
Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay, so here's here's my thought process now, right? When when people buy houses in real life, there's obviously a lot of benefits, whether it's tax write-offs, obviously, you know, capital gains, being able to borrow against it, right? So are those same perks that somebody gets in real life and buying a real life property transitional, obviously, into buying it online? And is there any additional ones from buying an NFT house, obviously, versus not? So the the when you look at the real world components, which is the property and the LLC, those uh, you know rights are pretty much the same as as owning an LLC and a property through that, right? Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, you know, you can avail depreciation on on properties, yep. and depreciation um, is a non cash expense on your income statement. So that means even though you might be receiving some cash from the property. Uh, a non-cash expense is being deducted on your income statement, which may result in a sort of a uh, either a you know lower profits or or possibly even a book loss on your mm-hmm. on your income statement while you're getting cash, right? And that's that's one of the reasons why people buy properties is because yep. they can get that uh, tax deferred advantage, right? In the sense that it's not like the tax is going away when you sell the property eventually. Uh, they look at the basis and then they figure out, okay, your depreciated basis is X and there's a, typically a depreciation recapture that happens. And then everything beyond that is capital gains. And if you hold it for less than one year, short-term capital gains, if you hold it for more than you know one year, then it's... Mm-hmm. So all of that follows the same kind of uh, logic that uh, owning an, uh, a piece of real estate uh, through an LLC in real life, you know, the way same way it works, right? Um, this uh, so in that in that sense it's there's no additional benefits or there's no disadvantages um the one thing that uh, our model might make make it easier is um uh if you're if you're a foreign resident that's looking to buy a us real estate now there are uh, specific tax issues you have to be uh, careful about because there's ferpta and other um tax for international owners of us real estate but you know, trying to form an LLC in the U.S., so hiring an attorney, forming an LLC, then finding an agent and buying a property, putting it in that LLC and managing it all, you know, rem- like it's hard enough to, you know, do yeah. all this, you know, uh, remotely, but, and and we can simplify a lot of that, but imagine now you're doing it all internationally. That's even much more harder. Yeah. With this model, you know, you can easily, you know, purchase uh, an NFT and through the NFT, you know, own uh, an LLC in real estate. And that, that process gets simpler, of course. Obviously, you know, if you're an international buyer, you have to be, you know, familiar with US tax laws before you do that. Yeah. yeah. Th- this is really interesting. So, you know, pretty much what I'm getting here is there's two ways to go about it, right? It's one, you either simplify, right? And share access to the masses via obviously buying and selling traditional houses, you know, via Web3. And then there's also the aspect where, you know, maybe Web3 can actually disrupt and change the real estate industry forever, aka removing realtors out of the equation, right? Because now there's somebody else or there's data already that are already done once, you know, on this property. And you can analyze the property via its properties, property via its properties online, right? So is the goal to see, like, is the ultimate goal for what you guys are doing to see, real estate being fully transactionable, like via crypto, 
or is it to enhance the current market right now and just try to make things a lot easier and smoother? So I, I think it's a little bit of both, right? Uh, and, and fundamentally, this doesn't mean that realtors need to go away, right? Um, they, they, just like um, there were taxi drivers before and then Uber drivers came along and some taxi drivers decided we're just going to drive Uber because it's more yeah. convenient. I don't have to clock nine to seven. I can you know, drive in the evenings, drive weekends, you know, pick yeah. my own time, do my own stuff. So there are, you know, consultative roles that uh, realtors can play and they do add a lot of value because uh, realtors, you know, have local knowledge of their markets and they can say, you know, this street is okay, but this street I would not recommend for, you know, whatever reason, you know, the flood zone here is different and, you know, uh, you don't want to buy it there and all that stuff, you know, you, you can still have people playing a consultative role on a lot of these things, right? Uh, but the ultimate thing we want to do is make the transaction much faster mm -hmm. and make the, uh, you know, make it a lot more transparent to the buyer and seller. Of course, there's also cost reductions because a lot of the traditional way of uh, the intermediation goes away. So it's, it's you know, cheaper, faster, more transparent. And those are all, you know, any any Web three person would expect those benefits. Yeah. Uh, but then on top of that, it's like you know now you're looking at you know can you make it simpler for Web two people to come in into this process? And yes, there's some learning you can do that. But also Web three, right? Uh, if you look at the Web three guys, traditionally a lot of sort of DeFi lending and all that has happened, uh, you know, using crypto to you know, borrow more crypto so you can go back and buy more of that. And it's all highly volatile and goes up and down 30% a day. And, you know, it's just, there's that world, which, I mean, all of this technology was created based on those types of uh, use cases. But now there's this opportunity to go much beyond that. And, you know, imagine um, instead of going and putting all your crypto into crypto lending um, providers that pretty much today, all of them are, out of business, right? The Celsius, mm -hmm. the Voyagers, the BlockFi's and yep. all that. And and what happened with all those was you took your crypto, which you had custody of, and you gave it to somebody else. And suddenly they had custody of it. And, you know, when you look at the Celsius uh, bankruptcy case, now the judges ruled that all the crypto that was held in Celsius was theirs, not, yeah, not the customers, of right? Of course, if you don't have custody of it, it's not yours, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas we have this sort of a self-custody model now, you don't have to stake it or do anything because it's a, ultimately there's a rental property and it throws out cash flow. So you can keep it in your wallet. Uh, I mean, of course, if if you're if you're borrowing against it, it's it's put in a vault, uh, but it's not you know custodied with some centralized uh, yeah. you know third party in a wallet they control, right? It's in a smart contract vault. Uh, you can borrow against it, and when you pay off the loan, the smart contract is instructed to give you back the NFT. So you're now in a self custody model, and you're you know, your NFT actually produces cash flow. Um, and if this this was available as a mainstream thing for Web3 companies a year, two years back, and some of them had gone into this top type of an asset class, um, some of, you know, a lot of money could have been saved today from all these, you know, all of these companies that have kind of gone bankrupt now and people are, millions of people are left without, you know, their life savings have gone into this and it's yeah. all lost. Probably if, if they're lucky, they'll get, you know, pennies on the dollar. Mm -hmm. um, so we, you know, we do think, you know, ultimately web two people will see some convenience, but web three people also, you know, should look at this as a way to diversify risk and a way to diversify out of the traditional crypto buckets. You're still within the 
you know, Web3 uh, crypto community because what you're holding is an NFT, but this NFT derives its value differently than other NFTs, right? And yeah. so we think ultimately there's going to be intermediaries will play a slightly different role because they might be more advisors and consultants. Web2 people will see convenience and, and benefits and Web3 people will see diversification. So the we're hoping that the whole industry sort of moves in this direction over time. Um, and of course, as you pointed out, it'll take education, right? Because this is new. People don't know um, the benefits. They're skeptical. Um, and we're here to, you know, again, we're... I'm, you know, really glad that you, you're providing these types of opportunities for for folks like us to explain why these things matter and why it can be done in a legally compliant way and why, you know, doing it this way is a better way of doing business. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I get this idea in my head, right? Let's say a lot of people, you know, let's just say, say me, right? Let's say I own a board ape. I bought it when it was one ETH. Obviously, now it's valued at 80 ETH. In what circumstance can I go ahead and trade that very valuable NFT for a property? Is that something you guys are going to be working on? Or do you see that being the future in the market? Uh, you know, I think people will look at diversification. Um, you know, there are, I sort of look at NFT holders in two buckets or maybe three buckets, right? Ones who absolutely are um, kind of core followers of a project. They yep. want to own it just because that's, you know, it's they, uh, it, it represents them in the digital right. world. So, uh, and so you'll never sell that ape, for example, right? Yep. If, but if you, if you had bought 29 apes, <laughs> you know, when, when it was one ETH, for example. Yeah. And now, you know, you're looking at, okay, the floor prices are, are, they, they go up, but they come down quite drastically as well. And, um, like, do you have, you know, unless you have a special reason to hold 29 apes, right? The, you would want to diversify, right? If, if ultimately wealth generation is your, and, and wealth preservation is your, is your goal, then you, you're going to want to diversify out of some of that, right? You never put all your eggs in the same basket. So that's, that's one group of people. And I think some of them eventually, you know, uh, should diversify out of some of their other assets and try to assemble a portfolio of different types of assets. Some of them are, you know, maybe correlated with the crypto markets, but some of them like real estate will be non-correlated yeah. with crypto markets. And then there are, you know, NFT traders and a whole other group of people that are speculating on price movements. And I don't think that class of people is going to, you know, want, because there's no kind of speculation short-term speculation in real estate, right? You don't yeah. buy it and then expect it to go up 30% next day or go down 30% next yeah. day. So it's a much more longer-term buy and hold and generate cash flow uh, type strategy. So maybe it's not the thing for NFT traders, right? Um, yeah. But again, if some of them have created wealth through their NFT trading business and they want to have longer-term non-correlated cash-producing assets on their in their portfolio, then they can, you know, certainly diversify into this. And then, you know, crypto treasuries, uh, typically they're all keeping all their money in, um, uh, you know, mostly native native tokens, mm -hmm. some L1, you know, Ethereum, uh, Bitcoin, uh, possibly some other couple of tokens that they uh, have a, you know, high level of interest in. Uh, and some USDC for working capital reasons and all that, right? Mm -hmm. um, so when you look at that portfolio, it's all, you know, even though they're all like different asset classes, right? Like 
you may have L1s, couple of L1s, you may have your native tokens, you may have, you know, some other tokens, but that entire basket is highly, highly correlated, right? Bitcoin and ETH typically move together, <laughs> you know, yeah. so, uh, and the native tokens follow that as well. And so your entire portfolio will move in one direction at any given point in time. And that's very, very risky from a portfolio management perspective, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you, if you're a treasury, you want to have uh, your, your cash and investment so that, you know, you, you're able to solve the next 18, 24 months of your working capital requirements. You don't suddenly want to see yourself having only six months of uh, cash reserves because your all your, you know, Bitcoin and ETH came down so much in value that you can't pay salaries for more than six months. So, uh, you know, for them also, this is a, you know, a good diversification play. So ultimately, you know, we do see that, you know, your traditional kind of OGs who want to diversify people who have made uh, crypto wealth through trading or other things, they, they would want to sort of diversify as well as like crypto treasuries. It's a, it's a good, and, and we're not saying put all your money into that, right? Uh, you should certainly like, you know, Bitcoin could go back up to 60,000. So you don't want to get rid of all of that. Uh, Board Ape might trade again at, you know, 400K. I don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows, right? So you don't want to like sell all of them and and then like two years later, figure out that was a bad, bad move. But, but you want to have enough of a diversified portfolio that no matter what happens in the industry, you're not going to be, you know, completely broke or bust, right? You, yeah. you want to have that diversification and safety net. Absolutely. And I know our time's coming to an end here. So I'm going to have one more thing for you to touch up on. So Ryan Serhant, obviously Serhant, one of the biggest realtors in the space, right, came out and said, you know, he believes in the next five years or in the next 10 years, half of all real estate transactions will be crypto in general. And he thinks that the same people who are spending hundreds and, and big amounts of millions of dollars on these properties right now are the same people who are investing into the tech the blockchain, obviously, and learning what's going on behind Web3 and how it can disrupt the industry. What's your take on that? And what do you see, obviously, the real estate market in the next <laughs> I, I, I would be really, really happy if that happened. Uh, and it, there is a possibility, right? I, and the, the signs you're looking for are what are the institutional players doing, right? And now you're starting to see just in the last several months, um, you know, every day there's some news about Goldman Sachs doing something and yep. Morgan Stanley doing something, Fidelity. JP Morgan doing something, right? So once all these players are getting more and more into Web3 and the way they might start might be, we'll allow you to buy and sell Bitcoin, right? Yeah. That's fine. That's, you have to have that kind of, you know, entry point into Practice, Web3 yeah. and crypto and that's fine, right? But over time, we'll get to a place where um, a lot, you know, payment processing, you know, if you look at it, right? Today, you want to... Uh, buy something on Amazon, you want to buy something on Etsy, you want to buy something on eBay, you go and register your credit card with every one of these sites. And then when the transaction happens, there's a typically a, you know, two and change percent fee that's being mm -hmm. paid because there's a bunch of intermediaries involved in credit card transactions. Yep. And, and then, you know, the Visa and MasterCards and the kind of the big intermediaries are, you know, running that. But if you look at like, uh, can I just go to Amazon, connect my wallet and buy something with USDC and not pay a fee on it? Sure, that's possible, right? Um, and can I like do international transactions? Uh, like if I want to buy something from some other country, can I just do that? Yes, I can. So I think payments will be one area where that disruption will happen sooner. Uh, and after that, we'll start seeing more proliferation of that into other areas. And mm -hmm. I do hope that 
you know, this uh, way of, you know, using USDC or any other kind of stable coin um, to purchase other real world assets, you know, will then start taking, uh, will become more and more uh, prevalent and then eventually to larger asset classes like real estate and so on. So it's going to happen. I don't know whether that's a five-year time frame or a little bit more, uh, but it'll definitely happen. And the other uh, sort of really interesting thing uh, that could happen in the near future is if there is a way to have a self-custody wallet without the whole complication of seed phrases and private keys and all that, right? And what I mean by that is, um, you know, you can today, uh, you know, you, you have your Apple phone and let's say you just scan your credit card and then suddenly Apple, there's a Apple wallet application and then you can use that Apple pay to, you know, pay at Starbucks mm -hmm. or whatever. And you don't have to figure out like, how does Apple store that information? Where does that store? You know, is it on the cloud? Is it here? Who has control of it? Like you just, you know, you scan your face and it opens the app and it allows you to do this thing, right? If there is a way for a self-custody solution like that, where a wallet gets created or like every time you buy an iPhone, it comes with an Ethereum wallet. Imagine, you know, that happens. <laughs> That's and, then, and then like, you know, you're able to like deposit uh, cash into a bank account and get it converted to USDC and yeah. sent to your wallet. And that's available, right? That I think will suddenly make a whole bunch of Web2 people become yep. instantaneously become Web3 people, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's just another way to spend. And then you go to whatever e-commerce site and they're like, yeah, do you want to connect your credit card or your Ethereum wallet, right? Okay, co yep. connect your Ethereum wallet and buy stuff. And I, I think when these two things happen... Uh, it's going to start more Web3 uh, adoption in general. And so, yeah, it's a matter of time. I, I have no doubt it'll happen. It's just, you know, whether the crypto winter lasts a little bit longer and then the next cycle starts or not, you know, who knows? Yeah, FTX yeah, definitely set us very back, I believe. So let's see what happens. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Well, Sanjay, it was great having you here. Any final messages or thoughts uh, that you'd like to kind of Tell people about what you guys are doing with the roof stocks on chain or anything in general. Yeah. So this year, we're just going to focus on selling more properties. Uh, again, our, as I mentioned earlier, property number two, they'll, some nice. Twitter announcements will be coming out soon. How much is uh, it going to be worth? Th this one's in uh, uh, Huntsville Alab or near Huntsville, Alabama. It's around $200,000, I think. Nice. Um, and and it'll have it'll also tellers uh, going to be providing leverage on that as well. So it'll nice. be sold as a levered property. Uh, and then um, we're just also closing our third property. Uh, that's in the Atlanta area. Um, we're just finishing up our purchase. We'll probably be renovating that. Um, so yeah, we're going to spend the next few months just you know trying to do one-offs um, and and kind of build out this use case. Uh, you know, as you probably know, it's the overall macro conditions are not just in crypto, but also you know the economy in general and real estate. Uh, it's yep. going through a little bit of a, a moment here. So, you know, once this is over and the market rebounds, and then there's going to be a lot more purchase activity. But in the meantime, we'll just keep finding those kind of hidden gems where one-off deals where that we can do here and there and just continue to prove out the use case. That's awesome. I'm going to be keeping an eye on it. It does interest me to be, you know, one of the first people to buy a house via NFT and property. So I'm definitely going to keep my eye out there and... Uh, see what there is to be yeah I, again if you're uh, any of your uh, listeners are interested in any specific markets uh, one of the things we do is if if somebody wants to look at four or five markets and say hey, you know can you tell us how these markets are doing we can run an analysis and say okay this wow. is what we're seeing in atlanta and denver and this and that 
So, and if people want to buy for a specific buy box, right? Like I'm looking at generating income. So I want to find markets where I can get income properties or, you know, et cetera. Mm. We can actually help construct that buy box and go out and find properties that meet that buy box and then tokenize and sell it to them. So that's um, awesome. yeah. And roofs, that's, you know, sort of roof stocks, um, goal There's anyway and and with, with our web3 group now you know it's, we're just going to make it faster cheaper and more transparent i like that faster cheaper and more transparent well you heard it here first real estate is now accessible via web3 if you want to buy a house you can skip a lot of the typical uh processes that you have in real life and the obstacles in order to buy a house and you can simply go to roofstock on chain and buy it with a few clicks of a mind uh hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode make sure you drop a like subscribe look at uh sanjay's socials down below and we'll see you on the next episode